This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Welcome back, empaths. We are so excited to have a guest today, Suzanne Falter. Suzanne was on with us in the past. She's the host of the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast, where she brings better self-care to thousands of busy people each week in 98 countries around the globe. She also keynotes and leads corporate workshops and online programs on self-care. She's the author of The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide of Self-Care from Sourcebooks and a memoir about her daughter's death and her subsequent healing. And the name of that book is Free Spirited. And that's what we're going to highlight today is just the amazing story of Suzanne, her daughter, the communication from spirit. So welcome back, Suzanne. It's an absolute joy to have you back again. Believe me, it's my pleasure. We're really excited. And, you know, people who have followed you for years know that you, you're very practical, you're very grounded. And this has kind of shifted your whole self, your whole life, because your daughter has been so persistent about making sure that you shared in this message. So could you maybe in, enlighten our, our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, what you're referring to, Denise, is the fact that at the time of her death, now she died from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest, just as she was about to begin taking classes on becoming a healer. And that's what she really cared about. And the day before she was beginning classes, I had dinner with her and she went home and collapsed in her bathroom and never really regained consciousness and died six days later. It's really not known why she died, except what immediately became clear to me the very from the very first night when she collapsed was that I was going to be called forth to do her healing work. It was made very clear to me. I got it intuitively. I knew my life would change. I knew my pretty organized structure of everything I knew how to do and all of the little places I knew how to show up. It was all going down and it was all going to change and it was all going to shift. It was going to be a radical redo on my life. At the time, I was a workaholic, as I've shared on this show, running a marketing business that quickly tanked. And uh, everything is very different now. And I think the big things for me, in that time, we're learning how to navigate the loss and the grief of this horrific death, which I literally had dinner with her two hours before she collapsed. 
She went from being present to being gone, like didn't exist anymore. And I know a lot of people listening to this have had that experience, and it's very disorienting. And you feel so unsure that you can even trust life. But what came about it was, or what came out of it, was that I began to feel teal around me very, very clearly, very directly, and very specifically. Around the time of her death, she left me beautiful messages. She began to really speak through me in this very specific kind of sparkling energy, for lack of a better way to describe it. I mean, that very first night, maybe the third night after her collapse, she was in a medically induced coma while they were trying to save her life, but her brain unfortunately had been damaged by lack of oxygen after her heart stopped. And I was in a hotel room and I felt her, I I felt her wake me up. Her energy woke me up. She was still alive technically, although in the ethers because she really wasn't there. And I felt her around me and I, I said, Teal, is that you? And, and she said, hi, mom, just like, <laughs> just like she ordinarily would. And I said, what are you doing? What's going on? And she said, first of all, don't rush me. Because I spent my whole life as a mother hurrying my children from one point to the next. And she was not one to rush. Teal was a very deliberate, thoughtful, somewhat slowly paced person who was not going to be rushed, period. And then she said, I'm trying to reconcile my heart and my soul. And I had no idea what this meant at the time. And really, I know now her heart wanted to stay and her soul wanted to leave. Her soul said, you're 22 years old. You've done your bit. On to the next thing. We need you in the afterlife (laughs) or whatever. I'm done here. My work is done here. And her heart was telling her, how can I leave these people behind? So as the months went by and the weeks went by, I kept having this incredible experience of her, particularly in my car. I'd be driving around. I was handling my grief. At that point, I had stopped working and I was living in a friend's house in the wine country in Northern California. And I was driving the country roads and I had an iPod shuffle. This was 10 years ago. I had an iPod shuffle and it was on shuffle. And I had 2,500 songs loaded into it. And 14 of them were Teal's. Teal was a, a professional blues singer. So every time, every time I began to get despair or feel like I had no idea how my life was going to continue or I didn't know what to do about a particular problem, one of her songs would come on. And her songs were very specific to different things. She started writing songs when she was like 12 years old and she had a great voice and she, <laughs> we recorded a bunch of them with, in um, you know, various recording studios and such. And one of them, there were songs about being an angel. I mean, it was weird, the content of these songs. There were songs about, how you lose touch with the stars when you are too caught up in your busy world. All through the last year of her life, she was writing channeled phrases in a journal, little phrases that helped her connect with spirit. She was meditating a lot. 
And she was getting phrases like this. You will be in your power when you're overtaken by the light and you can see everything as an opening to freedom. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I know. Everything is right where it's supposed to be and it's happening in perfect timing. Follow your heart. And I really love this, this one. Heartbreak is a learning process. You can get your heart broken a million times and not learn how to love again. Or you can listen to your own heart and learn in a second. <laughs> to have that wisdom before before the age of 23, that's that's amazing. It's almost like her soul always knew, even if her heart was fighting it, you know? Mm-hmm. For, for you, you know, that's that's the worst thing I think any any human can can go through. And you're going through it. And you get this message that your entire life is going to change and you trust it and you surrender to it. How long did it take for you to get from A to B? Do you know what I mean? To actually say, okay, I'm going to continue Teal's work. Oh, it was immediate in the hospital. Because I I mean, I have lived in the service of my writing and my creating to help people for many years, going on 35 years. I wrote my first self-help book in 1994. So I've always known that I was I was here to create and I was here to help people. But I have to say it was remarkably surface compared to what this content is. And people who've been following me and reading my books for a long time, the feedback I'm already getting and the book is still in pre-order. I just have, you know, it'll come out uh, February 7th, but I still have people who are getting advanced copies, who are saying, this is by far the deepest, most compelling thing you've ever written. And I know it's because of Teal, because I've never written about Teal before. Do you feel like you wrote it with her? Oh, yeah. The writing process was such fun. And it was so interesting because I attracted an agent very early on. And through that agent, I ended up getting the self-care book deal. And that was great. And I was grateful for that. But all along in the background, I was like writing this book about Teal and I couldn't finish it. And I couldn't finish it because the story wasn't done. It was a story that I was still living. And that particular agent let go of the project maybe a year ago. She finally decided that it was pretty esoteric. It's hard for mainstream publishers to find a market for esoteric books because, hey, there's channeling in this book. There's an afterlife in this book. There is, you know, cosmic healing in this book. I mean, this is not necessarily stuff that is, you know, going to be sold in the airport, although it should be, obviously. <laughs> we all know that. I think also it's easy for them to look at market trends and say, oh, nobody's buying memoirs. It depends on what the memoir is and what the story is. And again and again and again and again in this book, I am telling the story with great joy of all the moments when I reconnected with Teal. There, um, in particular, I'm thinking about some channeling I got from her one day while I was driving. Uh, or maybe it was through a psychic. I've forgotten what, what the circumstances were, but basically... It was, look for a book recommendation from Rose. And I didn't know anybody named Rose. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. So a couple months later, I'm up at my favorite hot springs, and I'm chatting with this woman. And all of a sudden, I realized her name is Rose, and I'd forgotten her name. 
And in that moment, Rose says, oh, I have a book for you to read, Suzanne. I've been thinking about you. And she recommended Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me, which is just a fantastic book about near death and uh, reclaiming your soul. And at that moment, I looked down on the ground and there at my feet was a guitar pick. And it was just the kind of Fender pick that Teal used. Where did that come from? This is a, a bloody hot springs. You know, yeah. <laughs> why a guitar pick at my feet at that moment? Wow, what a sign. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, I'll tell you another little story. If, if you're looking for other stories of connection here, I had a moment where I was very, very lost. I was in my office. I had a little office that I'd rented uh, near my friend's house where I was living in the guest room. I was sitting in this little office and I was crying because I felt like I had no idea what I was supposed to do to earn a living. Where was the money coming from? How was I going to survive this period of grief? I hadn't worked at that point for a year and a half. And, and you know, I was living on pretty skimpy savings. They were getting lower and lower. And in that moment, I heard her very clearly say to me, clean out your inbox. Not your usual channeled instruction, okay? But my, in my inbox really needed cleaning out. It was pretty bad. And I had been moving a lot in this period, and it had followed me along, not being tidied up once. So I look over at this inbox, and it has, you know, four inches of stuff in it. So I spent the afternoon pulling all the papers out of the inbox, the whole time going, what can this possibly be about? I literally get down to the last piece of paper, face down in the bottom of the inbox. I pull it out, and it's a letter from Teal. And she tells me all about how she had a reading with a healer who told her we had been combatants in previous lives, but in this life, we were meant to love and help each other. And in fact, we were meant to be leaders in light together. And she wrote, I support any light leadership you have to bring to the world. Yay, mom. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, first I sobbed for 10 minutes, but then I, I just, I framed the picture. I mean, I framed the letter because you know, and I, it's right next to my desk. I, I can see it as we speak. And, and it is my instructions to go out there and be a leader in light with Teal. With Teal. Oh, that's beautiful. I've been blessed to hear Teal's thing as far as you had sent me quite a while back. And the level of soul that that girl connects with while she was here and while she's in spirit, because she's an incredibly, incredibly vibrant, vivacious, beautiful, beautiful energy. So do you feel a difference in her energy when she was, because she is, she's as far as shining light, that girl did it here and she continues to, but do you feel a difference in her energy now that she's not physically in, in the, in the body and that she's still, do you feel there's a difference in, in how she, I don't, I don't even know what, where to go with that, Suzanne, but I feel like it's, I hope it makes sense. Yes, it does. It does. Okay. And, you know, there were inklings of Teal being a magical person in her lifetime. She she was known for being able to walk into any field of clover and pull out four-leaf clovers every time she could do it. And her brother, 
very touchingly when he got the call with his dad that she was probably dying. He went into the front yard at five o'clock in the morning in northern New York and pulled the four-leaf clover out of a patch of clover, brought it to her. And, you know, <laughs> that's Christ. the impact she had. I know, and it make, touches me too, but that's the impact that she had on people. She was very, very uh, loving and compassionate. However, in the afterlife, I feel she is able to be fully powerful because she was such an empath. I think life is difficult for her. A therapist who worked with her during her lifetime, and she was epileptic, so she had some medical issues as well, said that Teal was barely able to handle the intensity of life because she was so sensitive. And I know in the afterlife, she's like the queen of swords. You know, she's just going in there and doing what must be done and sprinkling effervescence as she goes. So maybe not so queen of swords. I don't know. You tell me you're the expert. What have you learned about the afterlife from her? Like, what has she shared with you about her life now? Well, let me read you some channeling I got, which was on the 12th of September. She died on the um, 21st of August. So this was less than a month after her death. And I kept asking Teal, Teal, how did you die? Why did you die? You know, medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. She said, I just died. And how is not important? Oh, mom, your inquiring mind, just let it go and surrender to the inevitability. There was no mistake here. This is a profound time of growth for you. And you are channeling all you can glean for the people. So be in flow, be in flow. That's all any of us are meant to, for our instruments are so finely guided and calibrated. I saw that when my body lost mine. I saw what a gift it was as I lifted out to the other side. I saw that I was small and afraid throughout my life, as are so many we're here to help. And this is your profound gift and mine to do this healing. It's beautiful. Was it hard for you to connect with those channeled messages or to trust that this was coming from her and not your mother love? How did you learn to go with the flow as she suggested? That's a great question. I would say I just at the beginning of the whole experience, I just knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. It was a felt huge, all body, all one moment of Oh, that's what this is. This is the beginning of my next chapter as well. And by surrendering to that, I became more receptive. And I'm quite sure that we receive channeled messages more freely when we're open to them, right? I wanted to connect with her, obviously, as we all do when we lose somebody we care about. But I wasn't worried about it because I knew that this was the healing path I was meant to be on. I also didn't uh, demand that she show up. I would say her name and I would get this warm, smiling, tingling, very positive feeling every single time. And it's faded a little over the years, but then the craziest thing happened, which was that after several months of sort of receiving this tingly energy, one day a laugh slipped out of my mouth, this little laugh. And I was like, 
where the heck did that come from? And there wasn't anything particularly funny and I was alone. So what was that all about? So then I began to receive this sort of what I describe as a silvery laugh. It was very bright, very high in response to questions people would ask me or ideas that I would have about next steps or projects I should take on that kind of thing. And that laugh is still around me. That to me is teal confirmation. And it's also not as necessary as it used to be because I feel I was given the laugh so I could accept that she was with me and I could begin to integrate it. It's taken me 10 years to integrate the fact that teal is with me and I can be comfortable with that and I can trust it and I can share it and I can heal people and I can do this work and share this book, which took the better part of 10 years to produce. Wow. I love that you said you never made demands of her to be there. I think that's so important for all of us to hear, you know, because you've got to, as she said, be in the flow in order to allow this, this loving connection to come in. Yeah. It's such a place of serenity. And what happens for me as a result of surrendering to her energy completely and surrendering to this path is that I don't really want anything anymore. It's a crazy thing. You know, I used to really want the money or I really wanted the, you know, industrial kudos or whatever. I wanted success. You know, I really wanted success. And then one day I woke up and I was like, I think I am a success just as I am. And I don't need anything more than this. And this is enough. And being happy is perhaps my greatest success. And the minute I really got in touch with that, then I could more deeply relax. And the more deeply I could relax, the more I could really connect with what I'm supposed to be doing. And Teal flits in and out of it, basically. What's interesting to me is that you couldn't be where you are now if you hadn't worked collaboratively with your daughter. And it's written as a memoir, but it's more of an experience. It's more of your growth, her growth, the connection between the two of you, what you're bringing through with channeled messages. I mean, obviously she's very bright, articulate, all of those things, but this feels like she has, this is an odd way to put it, but ascended to such a level that what she's bringing in is more for the collective, more for, I can relate to it. Samantha can, the people who are listening, it's not, she shared that with her music when she was here. And now it's almost like the spirit has put her on a bigger platform and said, okay, we want you to do the same thing. We want you to change the energy like you did when you played music, but you're going to do it on, and we're going to have your mom be the, the mouthpiece for this, this time. But what else has come through? Because it, you alluded to it a tiny bit at the beginning that you were very practical, very driven, very workaholic. But this is such a transformation for you as far as your own growth and development. So how is that woven in through your book? Well, you know, I had to become a more compassionate person because who was Teal but compassion? Her friends literally used to call her Kuan Yin, who was the goddess of (laughs) compassion. It was like, hey, get Kuan Yin in here, you know? She used to, as a child, she could get empathically who grew the potato she was eating for dinner. She could see them energetically. She could feel them. And she never shared any of that until after her death, I read about it in her journal. 
Uh, maybe she told me about that right before her death, actually. But she herself went through a profound transformation and really surrendered to her healing gift because she'd always been on track to be a professional blues singer. And then she got into the, you know, she went to Berkeley College of Music and she went to Austin, Texas, and she hooked up with a great band and she was doing gigs in the House of Blues. And I mean, it was good for a 22-year-old. And one day she called up and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be a healer. I'm coming to San Francisco, which is where I had just moved. And she showed up and she didn't know what she was going to do. And she lived on my couch and it was all very vague. And I was a little worried, to be honest. I thought she needed to be on her own and earning a living. And so she got a job, you know, raising money for various nonprofits with a clipboard on the street. It was before people used iPads for that. <laughs> you know, that was her, that was just sort of her life was just kind of doing a little singing and kind of drifting through life. And I remember um, she had a roommate who she lived with. And I, you know, I tell some kind of key moments of her life in this book because I think her transformation was profound. The first thing that happened to her that really put her on the healing path was a pre-seizure event is the only way I could describe it that she had in Morocco. She was also a world traveler and she went all over the world singing just on the street with her little travel guitar. And uh, she was in a hostel. And she lay down on the bed and fell asleep for 24 hours because she thought she was about to have a seizure. And the friend who was with her said when she woke up, he'd never seen anyone so alive and so inspired and so on fire. Describing what she'd seen, which was the massive snake wrapping itself around her body and infusing her with healing energy. That's what took her out for 24 hours. Wow. So she had like a Kundalini rising experience. Big time. Wow. And, and then called me up and said, hey, mom, I got my healing gift. Now what do I do? And then she died I mean, like immediately after that. Really? But you've taken that mantle up now. So can you talk to us about the healing work that you're doing? Yes. And what it is, is feeling into the issues that people have that they bring to me, feeling into the questions people have. I would say I'm not a psychic, I'm not a medium, I'm an intuitive. And what I'm doing is I'm connecting to her energy. I can't tell you about your grandmother and her desires for you, maybe, but that's not the point. I can't even necessarily tell you about your astrology or any of that. I might occasionally invoke the tarot, but what I'm really doing is feeling the path with you and guiding you on your path, however I can be of service. That's a great way to describe an intuitive reading too. So thank you for that. How, how are people responding? Are you getting a lot of grieving parents? Are you connecting with that resource? I connect with people who know they need help. And obviously grieving parents, we all find each other, right? And I was hugely helped by grieving parents along the way. And, and um, you know, I'm always here to help a grieving parent. But there is so much confusion and desperation and loss in this world that this is about much more than that. This is about healing the broken places where people are ready to be healed. So many of us think we're ready to be healed, 
because we don't want to suffer, but we haven't let go enough to really let it in. And I think I'm a champion for letting go. It's always been there in my writing. I even have a book, you know, about letting go. It's because letting go is the most profound act of being human that we have. You cannot love without letting go. You can't even die without letting go. There's a moment of letting go to every profound transformation. And I think I'm kind of a letting go coach. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> I love that. That makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I've noticed with intuitives, with people who connect in the level that you're speaking of, is there's usually been, I would put bank on the fact there are very few people that are going to sit across from you that you're not going to understand on a core visceral level what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, what they're going through. And that level of empathy, compassion gives you such a connection and such to me personally, I think that's where the healing comes through is when we can step away from our own pain and loss and grief that we may have experienced, but we can feel it from someone else. But what I love is as your compassion and your connection has risen, so has your intuition or you've reawakened, reopened that door because I I do believe it's always been there. Um, Thank you. Thank you. It feels like welcome. Yes, and it's it's blending those hemispheres to because you are a, a fantastic writer and very practical and very, all those things, but build bringing those together. This is not the original copy of your book, and that what you had originally expected to write for your daughter's memoir turned into a whole different thing, and it it had to happen the first way in order to get to what it really came here to be. So, as a writer, was that frustrating for you? No, I mean, I, you know, I've done this for 40 years, so you expect many drafts, right? And what I've learned is the joy of many drafts, because the the closer it got to what it was meant to be, which can only be felt intuitively, the happier I got. I was a little like not super happy when I was, you know, suggested I write a whole draft that was just about Teal's life. Nah, that wasn't it. I was less than happy being, you know, being um, guided into writing a whole draft that was just about the organ donation process, which in itself is quite an interesting story. But it turns out to be a small part of this story because a young woman just a little older than Teal got her heart and her kidney and her mother and I connected. And, you know, we had I mean, there's there's some pretty good stories in there about Teal's energy being visible after this young woman got her heart. I mean, that was pretty wild. (laughs) This is about healing the world. This is about healing the world. I don't pretend to, you know, affect even a tiny percentage of the world, but healing the world in that if I heal you, you can heal someone else and someone else might heal someone else and the ripples will be vast. If that's what's possible, Teal believed in something called And of course, again, this was a hit from the afterlife, the unified field of love. And I got this right after her death, maybe just a day or two after her death. Everything is well in the unified field of love, because that's where we are, but we don't know it. We think we're in contention, that the world is so irreparably broken, it will never, you know, we will all go down like the dinosaurs did. Possible. But it doesn't mean there isn't a unified field of love always there, always waiting for us to the degree that we will settle down 
and sink back into it. Again, the letting go. Letting go. So you can join with that unified field of love. You know, before we hit record, I was telling you how we've gotten so many emails just this month alone from people saying that they just feel very lost, they feel alone, and they're they're very much losing their faith. And I just wonder with all your work with individuals, with corporations, your books on self-care and letting go and your work with Teal, why, why do you think people are feeling that way now? It seems more than even when we're, you know, in 2020. And, and what advice would you have for people who are going through that dark night of the soul? It's a process of burning it down so it can be reborn. It's the tower card. It's transformation. And if we don't have this moment of everything is, you know, crazy bad and how can I possibly get through it? We aren't pushed to the place of greater oneness, greater purpose, greater aliveness, greater consciousness. Consciousness is a gift that only comes from the ashes of the of the false narratives that went before. We're, a, we're an entire culture based on denial. And now, in you know, astrologically and in many, many ways, we're being pushed to a place of far greater truth and truth-telling and radical awareness. And when you look at all the people who have been suppressed, who are rising up, and all of the truths that have been hidden, that are now being revealed, this is just one of those tumultuous times in my, you know, if I was to give any advice, it would be to trust the process. Because this is a very, very wonderful and almost magical time for our reinvention. It's just that progress is messy, you know, and, and there will be pain. But what's wrong with pain, you know? I mean, it doesn't feel very good, but look what it always yields, something better, right? So this is progress, far worse to be stagnant and, you know, safe but bored. Hmm. Not so much we can say about that place. Nobody makes changes when they're safe and bored. <laughs> exactly. They just become stagnant. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. We want the water I, to flow, in other words. Yes. And I, I can't express deeply enough how much what you said just resonated. Because mm. I agree 100% that that's, that's the key. We are coming together in unity we are finding each other. We are building community. We are raising the vibration. This is a time of healing, but in a, I'm, I'm beyond, you know, there, there's no words for the loss that you've experienced, but I can see where your daughter with the light she's shown here would go into spirit to bring that to a larger, she's the, the torch. She's holding the torch and lighting yours. So you can light other people's torches in this unit. I love unified field of love. I mean, that is just, that's beautiful. It truly, and it feels so real and so true and so um, sacred. And, and yeah, I'm not being right? extreme with that. There's a sacredness to this. We've talked about this in different episodes, how it seems a lot of people are, are leaving the planet. A lot of people are passing unexpectedly, but there's also, are they doing that to help us get to that place. People are leaving the planet and, and going into a place where they can be healers, potentially, yeah. or their loss. I mean, this is the thing about the death of a child. Everybody wakes up and pays attention to that. 
We expect mm-hmm. us to all die as we get older, et cetera. But when a kid goes, it's like, oh, wow, that's just big. And when Teal died, she was a loved, loved person. I mean, it was it was hard. It was just so hard for people to believe that it had happened. And that wakes people up, you know. So I always I do grieve Teal sometimes. I I cry, you know, from time to time. Her birthday is always kind of a tough day for me, December 18th. But look what I've gotten out of this. It's pretty extraordinary. My whole life has been saved by her death. That's how I see it, at least. I now have a much, much happier life. I have a great marriage, a second marriage. I'm doing the most meaningful work of my life. I'm doing the best writing of my life. It's just like I've got this awesome podcast. I'm, you know, sitting here talking to you two. I mean, you know, how good can it get? Really good. (laughs) Yeah, and it all came from letting go. You talk about going through this experience of losing your agent because this book is too esoteric, which just triggers all my buttons, right? Because I agree with you. These books that you're writing should be in every airport and and bookstore and Barnes and Noble. What do you feel about putting this out into the world in terms of, you know, how you were seen before and how you're going to be seen now? Are you excited about that? Are you a little nervous? Well, I think it's the best thing I've written, so I'm excited. And I'm also scared because it's the most vulnerable thing I've written. And it definitely changes the narrative on who is Suzanne Falter, if anybody cared, you know, I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a pretty radical view, but like I said, the advanced readers are giving me such, they're so moved by it that it tells me the book is working and that the story is as compelling as I think it is. And that's always the great job for writers is to, really tell the story that their readers want to read, you mm. know? And uh, I think this is this is the best story I've got and will have in my lifetime. Wow. That's so important, that, that being vulnerable part. I think that's really when we start to connect with others, when we're able to d- mm-hmm. drop that cloak of, or mask, if you will. Now, did Teal have one brother? Yes, she has a wonderful brother. Uh, she had a wonderful brother who is, very much alive. My son, Luke, he is a uh, an adventurous, bright spirit himself. I think a lot of times sibling grief is not touched upon uh, when we lose people too young. You, you don't really see a lot of books written on that. So I just wonder if you could touch on some tips and suggestions for siblings who are going through a grieving process. Well, I can't really speak for him, but I can tell you what he he did. He was 18 at the time of her death, technically an adult. And he wasn't really, he's a scientific person, so he wasn't particularly interested in all of the um, more esoteric, you know, ways to connect with a, a person you've lost. So what he did, the first thing he did was to work for an EMT uh, squad and he became ambulance driver and all of this. And, and of course, the first people who found Teal, her roommate found her after her collapse. The EMT crew who came in at the time of her death revived her to the point where she could go into a hospital and be put on life support. He joined an EMT crew to learn how to do that. Then he got very interested in the work that goes on in morgues. And her her autopsy was inconclusive. And the morgue in San Francisco basically did not declare a cause of death for two years, and it finally was released as cause unknown. So he went to work for a medical examiner for four years doing autopsy tech work. 
and now is thinking of becoming a medical examiner himself. And, you know, his comfort with death and, you know, emergencies is pretty great. And that he got out of Teal's death. He was not an emergency preparedness guy before that. He was just a really good skier and sort of interested in farming. You know, it's like a New England guy. So this was new, and uh, particularly the new, the movement towards uh, potentially becoming a medical examiner. I think we work through our grief in whatever way we're we're guided to. And and you know, in the case of having small children. They always say, get him to draw pictures and, you know, creating. For him, creating was work. So creating in whatever format that person would be drawn to would probably be a really, a really profound way just to connect with the energy of the other person. And P.S., let's not forget what little channels small children are. They can really see and feel things that we can't as we get older. So getting them to become very quiet and potentially try to connect with the other side and with that person's spirit in a positive way might be helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. And kudos to your son. That's amazing. Yeah. The book is coming out February 7th. And where can people? Yes, you can order on Amazon. You just type in free spirited falter. That's my last name, Suzanne Falter, F-A-L-T-E-R. It'll pop right up. There's a picture of me sitting on my car, affectionately known as the Teelster, because it was. <laughs> I bought it before her death, and we called it the Teelster because that had been her nickname. And she said, Mom, I am 22. I am so done with this nickname. Knock it off. So, <laughs> okay, we'll call the car the Teelster. And lo and behold, I... Uh, you know, made it my moving altar after her death. And it's where many, many, many of my channeled experiences happened. Wow. That's fabulous. We'll post a photo of it on our Facebook page so you guys can see it because it's a great, it's a great cover. It doesn't, you know, sometimes you think about, oh, a book about a parent grieving. There's nothing of that heavy energy in in you, in your writing, in your words. And you can tell that by looking at that beautiful picture and the title that goes along with it. It's just filled with hope and inspiration. So we thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you to Teal as well. Oh, well, I'm sure she's quite happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) No, not at all. And thank you everyone for listening. Please remember as always to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.